You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome into the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Premier, Scopal, Jared Mack on the show. And fellas, buckle in. We've got a long podcast. We have got a lot to discuss because yet again, it's another day and a ton of news. We just got off a, a late night. Thursday evening Zoom with Dan Lanning, Oregon's new head football coach, to discuss uh, Oregon's National Signing Day results from Wednesday. Nothing happened on Thursday as of this recording. Feels pretty safe, but who knows? Maybe something happens tonight. Um, previewing. Well, there's one more day left in the signing day as well, so maybe th- some things could change there. Um, Lanning did say that there's a possibility for that, but – um, I think there's a lot we need to get to in terms of this Oregon podcast. Some of it's going to be recruited, recruiting related. Um, some of it is going to be team related. And um, there's a lot to jump into with the current team. And that's where we're going to start with because it's been a couple days. Um, we have seen some transfers and we've now seen uh, a player declare for the NFL. Devin Williams, Oregon starting receiver, leading receiver has said he will opt out of the Alamo Bowl and he will forego the rest of his eligibility and play uh, and prepare for the NFL draft this upcoming spring. Jason Jones has entered the transfer portal. Starting cornerback DJ James has entered the transfer portal. We should also note Big Sala has also declared for the NFL draft. He will play in this bowl game, though, at offensive tackle. But four players eligibility remaining and they are choosing to either go pro or leave the program, which puts, I think, I think some pretty big depth questions into play for next season. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, there's a bunch here. So I'm trying to think of where we want to start. I think on the defensive line, we still have to, I mean, the part of that makes this tough is we still have to see what a lot of other guys are doing. If we're talking yep. big picture, none of this helps, obviously all the guys you mentioned who have eligibility are like guys who would play and possibly start. Uh, DJ James and Devin Williams would definitely start. Uh, Malasala obviously would definitely start. I think Jason Jones would have a shot to start depending on what Brandon Dorless does and what Popo Amabai does. And those are two guys that still have remaining eligibility but could enter draft. I mean, Popo's, I think, a fifth or would be a sixth year in college if he comes back. Yeah. So part of me wonders, what does he want to do? Brandon Dorless was a first-team all-conference guy. I mean, he's really talented. Mm-hmm. I think he has a real draft ceiling. I think it's possible – that Jason Jones would have had a real chance to to start or at least contend for a spot. And, and as we remember, I know he didn't have huge moments this season, but he had a couple at the end of the year that were pretty significant um, in terms of making plays, of getting sacks, of being in the backfield. Um, a guy that I know Jared's really high on. I know the fan base is really high on. I know when when he announced he was you know leaving, that was met with quite a bit of disappointment. Somebody that I think fans were really excited to see develop based upon a he's from the southeast. He's six foot six, 320 or 30 odd pounds. Um, Oregon needs big bodies like that. You'd think it would be a good fit with Dan Lanning, too, based upon some of the stuff he's dealt with at, at Georgia. You think about like a Jordan Davis, like that could have been a guy who could fit into that kind of a role. Um, similar body types, really. Um, and I know, by the way, we'll note that. I know that's a recruiting pitch that Coach Landing has used with Sir Mel. Sir Mel's and I talked on the phone on signing day on Wednesday, and he said that was the that was the I guess the pitch to a certain degree was come in and all, we can work on you to become another player like a, a Jordan Davis. So 
you wonder what's going to happen. Um, Dan Lanning did note that he's talked on the phone, or he's reached out to, to all of these individuals. He's had quality conversations. We should note Seven McGee put his name in the transfer portal. Yeah. After speaking with Dan and with Don Johnson on Monday. Um, I think it's Monday. Boy, these days are running together. It could have been any day for my recollection. I think it was Monday. When, when was the women's basketball game? Was that Monday? I was at the women's basketball game when this happened. Um, but needless to say, I don't know. That was, I think, that was an early indication. I don't know, who knows? Uh, who knows what days are anymore? But that was an early indication, at least, because he was able to, within an hour of seven, saying, I'm going to transfer to, to reel him back in. And, and Dan did talk about that today um, on the on the signing day press conference of once he was able to sit and, and kind of ta- you know talk face to face, talk it out, he understood there was a plan in place. And you wonder what kind of work Dan Lanning can do with these transfers. I assume a guy like Devin Williams is going to go pro. That's probably kind of hard. You know, and and one of the things that Lanning did say is he's not going to trick anyone in saying, right? I mean, they have to make the best decision for themselves. So none of this is great or helpful, but this is part of the way this is going to go. And I think with the portal in place in particular, the ability to play right away with the with NIL, um, which, by the way, is going to be confusing. I might say it is because NLI and NIL are the same letters with with one different in terms of order. And the NLI is stuck in my head right now because it was just National Signing Day. But I digress. Uh, but no, the point I'm making is there's a lot of ways for schools to kind of tamper would be what the term you would use. If this was the NBA or the NFL, you might call it tampering of maybe there's an NIL deal on the table and a guy wants to transfer and he can transfer play right away and benefit financially. I'm not saying that's exactly what's happening in every case, but these are the kind of things that are happening behind the scenes. We saw Lane Kiffin have quite the rant the other day talking about this type of stuff. So um be wary of it. You know, it's, it's, it's going to be a wild time. And Oregon is, is not immune to this, just like any other school. I think having a head coach in place, a support staff in place, assistant coaching staff in place will help with this. But at the end of the day, this is going to be, I think, I think we're going to have a real free agency, basically, in college football every <laughs> year, right around now. And Oregon is experiencing it kind of firsthand. Yeah, it's, it's a great place to start. I mean, there has been so much stuff happening that I feel like these stories have been kind of pushed to the curb recently. Yeah. Um, and obviously the Jason Jones and Devin Williams news is recent, including Devin Williams declaring, I don't know, an hour ago to go to the draft. Um, so that's really recent. And, I, you know, I don't fault Devin for leaving. Um, I think he's an NFL player. He's a caliber guy. And he was able to show that this year with Anthony Brown as his quarterback. And, you know, no knock on Anthony Brown, but there certainly could have been better ones. And, I think if you give him in the right situation, you, um, if you, if uh, if he builds up his muscle, if he gets stronger, if he gets a little faster, I think he could actually be like a a good player in the NFL. He's got a great frame, so I don't blame him for leaving. Um, Jason Jones is disappointing. Uh, I know Matt and I are were high on him. Uh, there's always still the the chance that he comes back. It's the portal; it works both ways, but that usually very rarely happens, except in the case of Seven McGee. Um, but yeah, he, he definitely had a chance to really be an impact maker next year. Um, you know, I still liked his profile for all the reasons I liked him as a, as a recruit, as a commit. Um, 6'6", 320, uh, that type of size very rarely happens in the Pac-12. Um, that fell in perfectly in line with how Mario Cristobal and uh, how, the, how he recruited guys. Uh, big, hard-nosed, physical people. Uh, he really started to make an impact towards the end of the season. Uh, you, you could see the, the flashes of potential. And it is interesting that he didn't stay with, with Dan Lanning and um, somebody who really helped work on Jordan Davis to become somebody who was briefly talked about for the Heisman Trophy this year. Um, 
I'm not surprised that he used that kind of pitch to, to Sir Mel's. Um, if I were Dan, I would use that on everybody <laughs> that size and be like, look what I did. This guy, a defensive tackle, was in the conversation for a Heisman. So that's a great pitch. Tough one to turn down. Um, maybe Jason's going to turn it down, though. We won't know. Um, DJ James um, transferring is unfortunate. He definitely would have been a starter next year, I think. Um, yeah. I like DJ James. I do feel I've had this thought the other day, depending on the conference that he goes to, I do feel like he could be like really, really good because he was usually called for bogus, sometimes some bogus pass interference penalties where it was a little too physical. Um, if he goes back to the Southeast and plays in the SEC and I don't know, he could, he could become some type of name down there because of his physical play style and his speed and his footwork which was always commented on as like the best on the team. Um, so he has all the traits, the intangibles. Again, it's a bad, it's a tough loss for Oregon. Um, but again, that's just how it's going to be. Um, it's going to be like this free agency period. And you, we, uh, in Dan Lanning's press conference tonight, he talked about the transfer portal as well and said, um, it's not going to be like the, the, the primary source of how we get kids into the program, but it would behoove him to really go after it. Um, because there are people who can make an impact on a program. And that goes for people transferring out of Oregon. Um, Schools will look at those guys. Schools will look at Jason Jones and DJ James. And Oregon's going to look at players who transfer out of Georgia, out of the Southeast, out of other Pac-12 schools. Um, It's going to be a frenzy. And then the NIL deals, too. It's all kind of ridiculous right now. I mean, and encapsulated all by Travis Hunter, the number one player in the country, going to Jackson State and going with Deion Sanders because of potentially an NIL deal. And it's bedlam. It's mayhem. Um, Been a very hectic last couple of days, to say the least. I do think, real quick, before we move on to the next segment, we need to discuss, in particular, the impact of Devin Williams going pro um, and I think DJ James is one in which I think the natural progression is just, hey, Dante Manning probably ascends up into the starting role. Um, And Jaleel Tucker, Jalen Davies, um, a couple uh, TriQuest Bridges. I think TriQuest might be Dante. I mean, it's one of those two. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's probably fair. I think that's probably a fair argument that TriQuest probably starts ahead of Dante. Um, But I, Dev, in particular with Devin, though, I think it creates a bunch of un- uh, uncertainty at the position for a receiver because I don't know if we were 100% certain that he was going to come back for 2022. There was a little bit of a shock, though, that me, for me at least, that, wow, Devin went pro. Okay, it's, you know, the discussion of that was real. And the receiver room is going to look completely different in 2022 than it did at the start of 2021. I mean, think about Jalen Red and Johnny Johnson have, have exhausted their eligibility. Micah Pittman has transferred, and Devin Williams now has declared for the NFL draft. Those are your four best receivers going into the football season. And you're now left wondering, what's what's this room like with Chris Hudson, Troy Franklin, um, Dante Thornton, Isaiah Crocker, I mean, he's played in the last couple of games. We'll see what he does in the Alamo Bowl. Josh Delgado, Isaiah Bravard. I think the position at Oregon, or I think the receiver position going into this season was viewed as they're loaded for this year and they're loaded for 
the next couple of seasons to transitioning, at least in my eyes, where I don't know if we can say they're loaded. They've got top talent at the top part, but where's the depth? Yeah, depth took a huge hit, you know, and and I mean, Chris Hudson, I think of the group that we know is back is the most known commodity without question. And the way he played the last two or three games was really impressive. And I thought you sort of saw him come into his own. You got an idea of the kind of player he can be, both as a vertical threat, both as someone in the screen game. Honestly, as a better route runner than I thought he was, was pretty reliable mm-hmm. catching the ball. Like, I think Chris Hudson is, I don't know if he's, probably is your number one going into the year. Obviously, Franklin and Thornton have huge upside and we should note that going into the year Troy Franklin was supposed to start the first game and then he had a minor injury and he didn't end up starting any games until all that all the stuff that Matt mentioned happened some injuries with transfers and whatnot um I don't have any doubts that those three guys if it's Dante Thornton Troy Franklin and probably Chris in the slot that can be a very good starting three I don't have any question about that there's huge upside with those guys and they've now had kind of some real dress rehearsals at the end of this season, they're going to have an Allen Alamo Bowl to really play and prove themselves. Like, I'm, I'm pretty high on that group being, like, a good group. But mm-hmm. Matt's right. The depth is is pretty shot. And this is where we're listening, you're probably listening to this podcast on Friday. What Ted Aroa McMillan does is huge. If he comes in, he might have a chance to start. Certainly going to be in that top four or five without question. Um, what's the development of an Isaiah Brevard? Um, this is where it hurts that, you know, some of the top targets like a Darius Clemens who went to Michigan or uh, a Kevin Coleman who Oregon was in on is now probably going to go, it sounds like, to Miami where Mario Cristobal's at. But some of these receivers that they were in on it, and then we should note losing a couple of guys that I mean, who knows if they would have signed because they decommitted, but Isaiah Satania staying in Arkansas, um, Nicholas Anderson staying in Texas and flipping. Those guys both did that before Mario Cristobal left, but you know, this is a receiving class that for a moment was really deep and they were in on a bunch of top guys. And now you're kind of looking going, if they don't get McMillan, we don't know what Stefan Johnson's going to do, kind of who's out there. And I'm sure they'll find names, but this is a position where, you know, if we're talking portal, this is a spot to start, I think, you know, and I think probably said the same thing about quarterback, but wide receiver in particular, I go, man, you could use a couple veteran guys, you know, uh, Chris Hudson's been in the program. This will be his third year in 22 still only going to be a sophomore by eligibility. And the other two guys, this was their first season. So there's not a ton of experience. And then Isaiah Crocker, who, gosh, that wasn't long ago. We were like, is this guy ever even going to play a snap? He was playing quite a bit in the conference championship game. Maybe he elevates mm-hmm. himself. And, and again, if we're talking, you know, I guess just lack of clarity here, who's their position coach? And maybe yeah. this is kind of a, a subtle way of putting But yeah. talk about the fact that Brian McClendon today was asked kind of straight up, what's your plan? And he was very noncommittal of what he was going to do after December 29th, after the bowl game. He is the interim head coach. He spoke with media for about 10 minutes earlier today. That feels like yesterday because it was probably, what, 10 hours ago. Um, Yeah, long days. Um, But the reality is we don't know what he's going to do. And that's your position coach. And that, I think, is also kind of a linchpin in what does Ted Arrow McMillan do? Because if if, if McClendon is known to be back, I would think he'd have a very good chance of McMillan signing. Um, But if he's not... You're now selling him on a program without his position coach against Arizona, which has some of his closest friends on it, and a school that clearly he's very, very high on. I mean, they have a—it's a weird deal. Not a good football team, obviously. So strange. One of the worst teams in Pac-12 history, just by a results perspective, and yet they're third in the conference in recruiting. They might be able to hold off Oregon for not just like a, 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 a any four-star recruit, the alpha guy in Oregon's class. Um, kind of weird stuff here, but if they miss on McMillan. I'm not trying to be too too concerned because I think ultimately they'll be good at receiver. But 
you just kind of wonder that this class and, and the way the receiver room was going to look not that long ago is so different than the way it looks right now. I don't, I don't know. There's something about it where I don't necessarily worry about how a wide receiver room looks. Um, just, just from a depth perspective. Mostly, right? mostly because we've sat through Justin Herbert's career when his best receiver was Dylan Mitchell, who was a seventh round draft pick. And he still put up great numbers. And he's and Oregon was still good offensively. But the so, issue here with that team was they had no depth around him at all. Which right. Is, which is which right. is right. So which is you're already going into this season with, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I so I, this is why the transfer portal is a thing. This right. is why there's still another signing deadline. Um, it's unfortunate because certainly everybody was looking forward to going into this upcoming season with Devin Williams back in a year two of Troy Franklin and Dante Thornton and. Uh, Isaiah Bravard and Chris Hudson is his third year and Michael Pittman's still on the team and whoever they're going to get in the, in the class of 22. It's unfortunate. Certainly, certainly. But um, I, this isn't, I, I would be more concerned with other positions in depth uh, depending on who's transferring or who's going to the NFL. Um, I feel like you can get quality wide receivers at, at, at a lower cost than uh, what the offensive line room is going to look like or what the defensive line room is going to look like with Kayvon Thibodeau's departure and Popo or Brandon Dorless, what their decisions are. Um, that's more impactful, I think, for, for a team that's built off their physicality and their, and their ability to get to the pass rush of these last few years, especially with Thibodeau. Um, not built around how good their wide receivers are because their entire offense, we'll see under potentially Kenny Dillingham once he's officially announced, We'll see how their offense operates. But for the last few years, it's been ground and pound. And, hey, we have someone who can go deep every once in a while, I guess. I don't know. But so they don't they don't ha they haven't had to have wide receivers. And maybe come week six of next year and you see that Oregon's offense is really uh, pass happy and they're an air attack. And it's like, oh, you know, having Micah Pittman and Devin Williams and all these guys would help. Then, you know, I'll eat crow. Don't worry about it. But. For now, it's like, I, I don't know. That's kind of like on the totem pole of the things to worry about with me, at least. It's kind of towards the bottom. But it is something to monitor. And um, Devin Williams' departure is a huge hurt for Oregon's offensive chances next year because he was a dude. He was easily their best wide receiver on a team where uh, passing the ball was uh, a struggle at points during the year, for most of the year, I would say. And you know, hope he balls out in the NFL. I'm not again. I'm not surprised to see him leave because he has that potential. He has that frame. He has those skill set that an NFL player uh, has, and some of that when you scout him, you don't really question anything that's coming out physically on the field. So um, that's I don't know. It's it's a it's a tough hit on depth, but I don't think it's necessarily the worst thing to worry about. Let's transition to recruiting now. Um, Dan Landing spoke with us for about 20 or so minutes. Um, and it was an opportunity to, to I think, another one to, to learn a lot about his recruiting. And um, they did announce seven signees. He, he did list them all. Um, didn't get a ton of feedback on how these guys fit into his program. And I think that's understandably so because he's playing catch up as well. Um, multiple times in the first four or five minutes, uh, he referenced the importance of Don Johnson um, and J.R. Mawalup, two guys that recruit that are in the recruiting department for Oregon. And he mentioned that I thought Eric and Jared was a really good like 
inside look at this process of building this class to keep it intact was once he got on the plane from Athens, Georgia to get to Eugene, he said he spent that, that flight getting in touch with every single one of the players that were committed to Oregon um, and just simply starting to get to know them. I think it's important to start with the support staff in place because that was his lifeline. Right? He said yeah. that, right? Because he, you can't expect him to come in here and a know anything really about all these guys. As he said in Georgia, they recruited kind of that, that region and that he didn't, and he, he noted he didn't really have any previous relationship with most of the guys who signed um, that all started over the phone in the last couple of days. He started, yeah, as you said, started by texting and communicating with them. Um, but he needed to talk with Don Johnson and J.R. Malala to, to communicate to him what this class is built around. Who are these guys? To know who they are, to, to understand how they might fit, but also to understand and like what kind of makes them tick and how you recruit them and what they stand for. Like I think that gets overlooked sometimes in recruiting is that these relationships are not built in a vacuum. You can't do it in 24 hours, right? No. It takes no, an understanding no. of who these people are. These are people. You have to understand what makes them tick. And that's what makes the best recruiters. You can argue that you need, you know, a, a bag man and it's all nefarious. But at the end of the day, you still, I mean, I'm not arguing. I'm not saying that stuff doesn't exist, right? Because I mean, you'd be naive to think that there wasn't stuff like that going on. I talked about the NIL stuff earlier. Like, it's clearly there's there's opportunity to make some money these days. I'm not arguing that. There's always been opportunity to do that. But at the same time, you have to be able to connect with people. And for him to try to get seven players to, to sign with the school that he has just agreed to terms with like a couple days before signing day that required more than just him and his own know-how he needed those guys and so i thought it was telling as matt said that he was on his phone making connections with them i thought it was telling he talked about how um the phone conversations he had with two of the guys who were on the fence one of which anthony jones was not a verbal commitment i don't know if he's ever been to oregon at least on an official visit he might have been an snl guy in the past i'd have to look back and think um but to get him committed, there's kind of the effort that was required there on the phone. Same thing with Jaleel Tucker, the conversations that were mm -hmm. required to ensure he committed because he wasn't, or should, should say signed, because he had communicated he was going to wait. And then here comes this surprise LOI, which, by the way, we finished our recruiting podcast a little premature before both of these <laughs> news hit. That sort of tells you where our minds were at. And I think nobody else was really prepared for this was just that there was some unexpected business that took place. And that's a credit to the staff for you know, and it's not just Dan Lanning for getting it done. Um, and I just think it's telling the way he has worked, how meticulous he was, um, the effort he made to get this all situated and sorted. It's not only smoothing over with the recruits, it's their parents who are now signing away their, you know, their, their first, you know, one of their children to go play somewhere for a staff that they don't know everything. I mean, this is a lot of pieces. Right. In, and I give a lot of credit to Dan. And I think you had a, a pretty, pretty solid job today to kind of, communicating some of the behind the scenes work that was necessary to, to get the result they did, which as he noted, they're nowhere near the finish line, but is a good start um, with a day left in the signing period. And, and he noted maybe an opportunity to add. Yeah. I mean, it was a cry, excuse me. It was a quiet recruiting day and a quiet signing day in general, like a, we talked about in our podcast for the recruiting day, but it was pretty, it was eventful. I mean, I don't think any of us thought that Jaleel Tucker was going to sign yesterday. And certainly not for Anthony Jones. I mean, that was just a, uh, a thing that was started with uh, Steve Wilfong earlier in the day where he said, no, I'm hearing that there might be a flip. And none of us picked Anthony Jones to be the one to be. Um, but again, that talks about his work ethic, his drive, his hustle, his ability to communicate with people, his uh, longstanding history of being a good recruiter was on full display 
yesterday. And this is less than a week after he's accepted the job, uh, the head coaching position. And he's already been, um, you know, like Matt has said, he's, that, that flight from Athens to Eugene was full of communication with kids who were committed in the class. And it's a long time until February. Um, I, the, once the staff uh, and extra coaches get figured out, I think it's going to be it's going to be something to look forward to, something to watch. Really, um, he's from the rumors of who's been hired and who might be coming. Um, these are guys who have huge recruiting histories, uh, who are known to be good recruiters at wherever their stops have been in the past, and that the same goes for for Dan Lanning. So. Uh, and, yeah, again, in terms of getting seven kids to sign just uh, 10 days or so after uh, the head coach that's been here for the last four years leaves uh, is truly impressive. And that's like one of the biggest things I took away from that is is how uh, eager and how opportunistic Lanning seems to be with this class and these kids. Um, also, like when we were in the press conference, I was kind of putting myself in his shoes and how hard it's got to be doing two jobs like this and trying to figure out a recruiting class for the school that you're going to while also trying to figure out a college football playoff game with the school that you're currently with and Lot going um, on talking to Don Johnson and like, Hey, who's this kid? Cause he's not, he told us, he's like, you know, these, a lot of these kids aren't within the confines of Georgia where we normally recruit. And so he has to do a full-blown scouting report on these guys and really trust Don Johnson. And that's a real big credit to, to Don Johnson as well for giving him all the insight and, and proper information that he needs to, you know, make these decisions, make these phone calls and be like, look, we still want you to be coming to Oregon. You know, give us a chance, give us some time, um, which is huge. And I feel like that message uh, resonated pretty well with the seven signings. Um, I think it'll resonate well down the road as well as we head into February signing day. Um, it's just going to be a fun one to watch. I think I've said that multiple times now, but I, I truly do believe it's just going to be a fun recruiting group, especially at Oregon to watch. I think it was pretty telling that Dan did say that this class could have been bigger if they simply were trying to, I guess, inflate the numbers of this recruiting class. He said they could have signed plenty of guys if they wanted to. Um, and I right. think that is in reference to they could have just gone out and offered a bunch of guys in the next, you know, when he got hired on Sunday, you know, from Sunday to, to Wednesday, they could have and even today through Thursday, they could have been offering guys mm-hmm. and taking their verbal commitments sight unseen. But it, he'd said that that's not what they're about. They're trying to find the best quality and the best player. And so I, it's important to note that this class could have been bigger, but they they're focusing on certain players and certain types of players. And, you know, I, I thought it was an interesting, I, you know, he brought up the fact that a lot of these guys don't come from the Georgia footprint. And so I was curious, what, what is the Oregon footprint? And, you know, he, he kind of talked a little bit about that on site on, on his intro press conference on Monday. Um, but he said, they're obviously going to go across the country. They're going to try and get the best players wherever they're from. But he did stress the importance of, of having a good foundation on the West Coast and in the Pacific Northwest in particular. And you, Eric, you brought up a good point that that's not foreign to him either, the we- recruiting on the West Coast. Yeah, and, and one of the things I thought he said that was notable and I was curious and kind of thought he would say was, was that from a staffing perspective, a priority will be 
coaches with West Coast ties because you have to be able to recruit here. His background is, you know, he's from Kansas. He coached in the Southeast primarily. I know he spent a year at Arizona State. That's not enough time in his mid-20s to really lay down ties and have, you know, a Rolodex of all the different, oh, here's the St. John Bosco. And those coaches might not even be there anymore, the guys he had contacts with. So a priority is going to be laying down roots on the West Coast and finding recruits. I thought, um, or I should say coaches that have ties there. And I I thought a thing that was kind of interesting that I don't know if he knew how to answer was, are you going to recruit players that you recruited to Georgia? Um, And what he ultimately said was, I'm coaching for Georgia, but I'm working for Oregon. And I was kind of like, all right, so are you saying that's the answer is yes? And you're got my <laughs> yeah. He said was he was going to do what's best for Oregon. Yeah. So that, yeah, that's and that would be fun. recruiting Georgia players. Yes. I thought that was yeah. pretty telling. So there's kind of an interesting thing to maybe keep an eye out. I know Matt posted on Duck Territory. There was at least, I think, Darius Smith is a four-star defensive end that Dan recruited to Georgia who didn't sign. He's going to wait till February. Maybe he is a, a, a name to know down the line. I mean – there's potential for, for Oregon to kind of get involved in some guys that, mm-hmm. that the previous staff had no interaction or relationship with. I think that's going to be kind of one of the fun things down the stretch for this class, especially after we get past signing days. Okay, who are they trying to have trip out here? Um, and how many of these guys yeah. are guys that are even on our radar and listeners' radars and big recruiting, you know, big wigs' radars? I'll be curious. I, mean, I think we're going to see a na- group some names that we thought, oh, there's somebody who we didn't even think there was a – a possibility of him going to Oregon, but Dan had a connection from whatever. And, and that person didn't sign. And now suddenly they're in the middle of it. And on the West coast, certainly some really talented guys that haven't signed. I think it's notable that because of both Oregon and USC and even Washington to, to a smaller degree, have just kind of made coaching changes. A lot of players out West have decided they weren't going to sign early and are kind of waiting to see everything plays yeah. out and, and see how the staffs build out. You know, And that's another part that, that we'll get to here is, is some of the staffing news, but it's going to be fascinating. It really is to see kind of what the next six or so weeks play out with, because if you're Oregon, you have plenty of space, you have the ability to trip a bunch of guys if you want to, and you can do that both from players that have previous connections with Oregon and recruits that are on everybody's radar. And you can do that with guys that people are familiarizing themselves up. Basically the moment you bring up the name, you're pulling up their profile to go, okay, who is this guy? Because mm-hmm in the process and you just didn't know them because landing had a previous relationship or assistant coach X, Y, or Z had a previous relationship. And, and that's part of it too, is the way the staff builds out, that's going to really, I think, kind of instruct some of the directions they go from a recruiting perspective of, okay, receivers coach, whoever that's going to be, maybe it's Brian McClendon, maybe it's another guy, but this person could have relationships with somebody in a different state that no one's ever really heard of. And now suddenly that's a recruiter of note. So recruiting wise, I think it's going to be fascinating to see how this, this plays out. Oh, 100%. I'm stoked for the idea that Oregon could have Southern connections with Lanning and with Dillingham and whoever else he pulls onto his staff. Marshall Mouse. Um, yeah, another another Deep South connection. Because, um, again, those there are plenty of very good football players on the West Coast. Don't get me wrong. I think it's important that Dan Lanning were to set up a perimeter around Oregon and be like, look, the best kids of this state are coming to Oregon. Unlike, you know, how Washington has been over the last decade. Um, it's tough, obviously, because the big guys are always going to get there, always going to get their players. Um, and the goal is to try and stop that. However, with connections to the South, um, there's a lot of really good players down there. And there's a lot of players that are, are in different molds than West Coast players. Um, you look at the, the, the Southern connection that Oregon has on their team with 
DJ James, Triquist, Bridges, uh, Braden Swinson, Jason Jones, maybe Brandon Dorless from Florida. Um, those guys were all like three-star recruits out of high school. Jamal Hill, all like three-star recruits out of high school. Uh, they're all really good. They all play a lot of meaningful minutes and snaps for Oregon. Um, if, if Dan Lanning can include that Southern connection and start bringing um, some four-star recruits out of Georgia and Florida and Alabama to Oregon and sometimes out of um, at Mississippi, whatever the case may be, uh, that could start a new thing as well. And so that, that recruiting connection is going to be huge down the line. Um, it is interesting that he know, that he noted that he wants a lot of his staff to have West Coast connections. I think it's smart of him to do so. Um, obviously, the, the lone year spent at Arizona State, uh, Kyle Dillingham, who's reportedly going to be Oregon's offensive coordinator. It's everything but official from the university. He's even changed his Twitter picture, folks. Um, He's here. He's in Eugene. He's here. He's physically in Eugene. Yeah. We got confirmation of that by talking to some players today after practice. But um, he's a West Coast guy. He's an Arizona native. Um, so that helps build the staff. He coached at Arizona State for a few years, um, just missing landing, I think, by a year or two as a, a grad assistant. Um, but they've worked together in Memphis. And we've been over that before. But I think that's the the first start of some of these West Coast connections. And so um, – I think as as the the offseason grows longer and uh, Landing is able to make more of these connections, I think most of them are going to have some influence of West Coast ties. Whether they work somewhere for two for two three years at Stanford, Washington, something like that, or they played college football on the West Coast and played at one of those Pac-12 schools, Pac-10 schools, um, I think they're all going to have a bit of flair in it where. They do have a little bit of West Coast ties, and that'll help them. But I think most of them will will come from that Texas and uh, from the Southern ties that he really has. Real quick, um, you brought up Marshall Molchow. He actually is another one that has West Coast ties. He was right. um, director of player personnel at Washington um, from 2014 to 2016. So just – just to give you a little bit of an idea, he helped Washington sign recruiting classes that would be in 2014, 2015, 2016. And you probably could could give him some credit for what Washington did in that 2017 class as well. Um, that 17 class had a, a lot of big names. Salvin Ahmed, Hunter Bryant, Elijah Molden, um, Terrell Bynum, Ty Jones, Ariel Nada, those are those are guys that did good things for the Huskies in 2016. You know, Brian Murphy, um, Sean McGrew, um, Levi on was on Wazurki, um, Taylor Rapp. Uh, the 2015 class had Austin Joyner, Benning Pateau, Henry Roberts, Trey Adams, Miles um, Gaskin. Some 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 of the players that I know it's kind of sacrilegious to talk. Husky, Husky success on this podcast, but some of those big names that Oregon competed against when Washington was at its peak under Chris Peterson were on were, were, were brought by a staff that included Malchin. And I think you and his primary role at Washington was director of player personnel, and that's recruiting. And so I think you tie in what he did at West at Washington with what he's done since 2016 um, at Georgia. 
it's a 2020. And then now this season at AM, AM just signed like the best recruiting class in the country this year. Um, and this is his job. So I, I think this is this is a monumental get. It was huge for, for landing to keep Don Johnson. And this is the this is on par with that of getting Malchow. If this ends up being true, which we have no reason to believe it wouldn't be. Um, you're, you're bringing in some heavy hitters on the recruiting department. And it's, to me, a, a really good, strong sign that Oregon is committing resources to not only Dan Lanning and his 10 assistant coaches, but the guys that we don't see on a day-to-day basis that do a, a hell of a lot of heavy lifting that don't get a lot of credit. And if you're, if you're going to spend big money and you need to spend money here on, on, those, on these types of people because they are extremely valuable. Guy's 33 years old. He's, I know he's not a, I mean, his recruiting role is, is, is different than an assistant coach in terms of how it manifests itself. He has been at the forefront of, I think three top number one rated recruiting classes at Georgia now at A&M. That's what they're getting. Mm -hmm. He's 33 years old. Another really young guy. Uh, Jared, I know you were, before we started uh, the press conference, you were sending over some links of some things of of kind of how he's seen nationally. I'll kind of let you take it, but I mean, this is this is like potentially the biggest hire or the biggest name attached to Oregon thus far in terms of his pedigree is is really something else. I mean, this is not, and I'm not trying to minimize any of the other names we've seen. I mean, we're not trying to minimize Don Johnson or no, 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 you know, any of those guys. These guys are really, really high end people. But like Malchow's history suggests, like you can keep him around in Eugene, like you're gonna be. There's no reason you can't be the alphas out west, and this is again a guy under 35 that people think could be, and, and already has proven to be just an alpha, little alpha in kind of the the realm of what he does. Yeah. So Pete Thamel of Yahoo Sports tweeted out that Marshall Malchow, which I I don't, I don't know how to say it. Malcho Malchow, whatever it is, we'll figure it out eventually. Yeah. Um, that Oregon was is uh, setting up on hiring him to be the chief of staff at Oregon for their football program, uh, which is a, a, a new trend, this general manager type of position in college football. And that's basically what he was at Texas A&M. His, um, his title was director of player personnel. But basically from what I've read is that he was like the CEO. He was the, the general manager of the team. And yeah, so what he did at Texas A&M, he was hired in the spring of 2020 after working the last five years at Georgia. Um, and he's had an integral part in them signing a top five class this year, probably going to end up being top three in the country. Um, during his time at Georgia with the same title, director of player personnel, uh, he signed five straight top five classes. And again, this, he doesn't do all the work on the, on, in the team. He's not there every day for that, like the, the deep depths of recruiting. But he's putting his coaches and his staff and the program in general in the position to recruit at a high level. And that's exactly what you need at Oregon, too. Um, he started his career under Chris Peterson at, uh, Boise state, uh, say he was the assistant director of player personnel. So this has been his role basically for the last, what is that? 12 years. Um, it's, it's a good one. This is going to be a huge hire for Oregon down the line. Um, he was just doing a little bit of preliminary research. Um, he was on a bunch of 24 seven sports is 30 under 30 until he finally turned 30 years old. Um, 2017 and 2018, he went back-to-back years with, fun fact, uh, joining him in that 30-for-30 list was potential Oregon offensive coordinator Kenny Dillingham. So 
these guys have been nationally known for a long time now. Um, the Athletic ranked them number two on uh, a, a survey they did of 30 offensive and defensive coordinators and who the best player personnel people were in the country behind Ohio State's player personnel uh, director. Excuse me. Um, this is this is someone who's going to be legit. And I was reading an article from four years ago um, about his just his journey. He's a University of Alabama alumni, but he's been helping Georgia. So that was like the main you know, mm-hmm. thought of the story. Um, he worked yeah, as an undergrad at Alabama. He was in like the video room. This is like the first two years under Saban and just learning all of these little tricks and trades of recruiting and stuff like that. I found out he was actually like the same intern with Matt Lindsay, who is the yes, general manager for Old Miss. Um, so like those that I, I want to go through one day and go through like all of the roster of, of uh, faculty that was working under Nick Saban at one point and to see how many of them are just so important <laughs> because those right. were two undergrad interns at Alabama who now are basically uh, both general managers of Oregon and Old Miss who are two um, nationally ranked teams who are two teams that always compete in recruiting who uh, both have a shot to win uh, at least 10 games this year. So uh, this guy is going to be a legit hire. Um, you can go through it. You can go online and just read about him. There aren't enough good things to say about him from other people. And so this is going to be something that's going to help Oregon down the line. Um, like Matt said, putting resources and development into their program is going to be huge in terms of a keeping Dan Lanning around for the long haul and B keeping this uh, national notoriety of being a, of being a school on the West coast that can go into somebody's house and, recruit anybody that's what oregon's been doing the last few years and they've been going across the country and knocking down doors trying to get recruits to come in um obviously it's a it, recruiting is always fluid so it's going to be tough to pull a kid from the east coast all the time but someone like this might put the right resources and the right personnel in the right spot and get the right player so i'm a huge fan of this hire um again another youth movement with Malchild being 33 years old so uh We'll see if this hire becomes official. Like Matt said, we've no reason to doubt it. Um, but this will be something to keep an eye on moving forward. Another thing, another exciting thing to look forward to. None of these hires, like Jared said, will be made you know, official official until the school releases them, HRs. Mm-hmm. I'm sure diligently working um, to get these done. But like both people said, both Jared and Eric said on here, um, Dillingham's in, you know, he's, he's here in Eugene. I would imagine um, Powledge um, and Malchow will both be heading west to Eugene on the quickest of flights they possibly can get. And then there's the Tosh Lupoy rumors that are out there. Um, it, it's been known that there is interest from Morgan. Um, there's a connection to Dan Lanning. Um, it's been known that he has interest in Oregon. Um, we'll see where this develops. There was a report out that came out Thursday morning that said it wasn't going to happen because he was going to go to Florida, but that was quickly debunked. Um, and then we saw another report suggest by Adam Rittenberg of ESPN that Oregon is very much in play here. Um, it feels like just reading tea leaves and the understanding of things, it feels like, that could be another domino that would fall. And I thought it was interesting that I think it was to you, Eric, that Dan Lanning did bring up the fact when it comes to future staff members, um, they are going to hire people that have connections and that will be able to recruit out West. And 
Tosh is certainly one of those people that has connections out West and has recruited really well out West. Oregon fans know that name. I think we talked about this a little bit ago. Um, a couple, I don't even remember. We get, so the days are running together. I have no idea which podcast it was. I think it was on signing day, which was, I think, yesterday. Uh, <laughs> that's, how, that's how much my brain is trying to figure it out. Um, but, yeah, no, Tosh is somebody from the West Coast. He went to Cal, coached at Cal, uh, coached at Washington, um, had immense success recruiting against Oregon for some elite recruits during those times. Um, the Shaq Thompson recruitment comes to mind. It's a guy who ended up at Washington who was initially committed to Cal. Eric Armstead was a guy who he had, I, I believe, had. I'm not sure if he verbal committed, but Cal was considered a favorite for him because of Tosh. He ends up at Washington and, and Armstead ends up at Oregon. But this is a guy who's been in some big recruits out West, and that's a history he has. And it makes sense. It aligns with what we've discussed in terms of the West Coast recruiting ties. Um, you kind of wonder what his role will be from an on-field recruiting or on-field coaching perspective. History is defensive line. That's the same position Joe Salavea has held at Oregon for five years. I think he's Joe's the longest tenured guy currently on staff. I think he is, along with Mario, the only guy from the original staff with Willie Taggart. Um, you kind of wonder, is Joe long for the job in Eugene? That would be a bummer. I've been a big fan of what Joe Salavea has done for Oregon in terms of developing talent. They had three the media did uh, its all-conference team, and three of them were from from Oregon, Popo Amavai and Brandon Dorlis on the inside, and then obviously Kayvon Thibodeau. Um, but Tosh LePoy would bring a totally different recruiting angle and element here. Um, also would have some real connections out West. I think that's clearly, mm-hmm. as Dan Lanning said, that's a priority. Um, the way the rest of the staff plays out, also, I should note, I think he's 38 years old, so he's kind of fits in that. He's 40. He's so old. The dun, grandpa. Dun, dun. He's, he's 38, I think. Is he 40? 40. Okay. So he's old. So never mind. He doesn't fit. He, they should yeah, have he's him. old. 40. Oh, the we've just turned what 40 am. years old into this old man. Anybody over 35. <laughs> when, the thing I, 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 I mentioned earlier, which we should know, we talk about the youth movement, is Dan Lanning, of the names attached to Oregon, obviously he's signed and these other guys are assistants that were rumored to. He's older than all these other guys. Pallage is 34, <laughs> Malchow's 33, and, and Dillingham is 31, as we've said numerous times. So, like, we hear, you talk about a youth movement. I think it's probably really likely when this when the dust settles and this is finalized that one of the big talking points the offseason is going to be Oregon has the youngest coaching staff in the country. Like, it feels like that's where that's headed, right? Of Like, yeah. well, you know, either, they're going to be playing Georgia and one of the big talking points for – Chris Fowler and Kirk Herbstreet or whoever's calling the game is going to be, oh, this is the young <laughs> staff at Oregon. They're all 35 and under. I mean, not all of them will be, but this is the youngest staff in, in the country. Let's see how they perform on a big stage. And, you know, I, that'll be a narrative, I guarantee, because that's what's developing. And as we've established already, it's not just that they're targeting young people. And, and mind you, I think a point I saw on the message board, which I, which I thought was pertinent, is if you're a 35-year-old head coach, it probably helps to have people around your age because – there could be a strange dichotomy of the guy you're supposed to be taking instruction from is 10 to 15 to 20 years young. Like if you're t- Tim DeRuiter and you're the defensive coordinator for Dan Lanning and he's got yeah. five fewer years of experience than you, I'm not saying everybody's ego is so big you couldn't handle that, but you could see how that would be problematic. Like you can understand that. So I think that's part of it too in terms of it makes sense to surround himself with people that are similar age, like-minded. I mean, our whole staff here at Duck Territory, we're pretty young related to, to what some other, I guess, uh, 247 said. 
Uh, okay. but, uh, but 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 just the point I'm making is that part makes sense, and uh, it's again not just that they're young people, but they are considered. And you just read up on all these guys. These are like these are like a bunch of guys who will probably be big big names at Oregon and potentially like I look at Kenny Dillingham and everything I've read on him. It's like he is prepping to be a head football coach in the not too distant mm-hmm. future, you know. And hypothetically, if Dan Landing were to leave you're surrounding yourself with a bunch of guys who you could promote into a position like that. You know, that's like totally, totally, you know, out of a nowhere comment. But in my head, I've thought, okay, well, let's say Dan Lanning stays here five years. Well, Kenny Dillingham stayed the whole time. Might be a really easy transition, assuming he pans out like we think he will. Just be like, okay, Kenny, now it's your job. Right. And Oregon has that history of just promoting whoever's their offensive coordinator to head coach. Um, To get back onto Tosh, Luke Boy, um, yeah, he's a big time recruiter. I, did, I don't know if everybody had uh, who listens to our podcast has realized a little bit of a trend in terms of the Dan Lanning hires. They can recruit. This is no different. Um, like Eric was saying, uh, Lupoy has brought a lot of West Coast guys, five stars, high four stars to uh, you know the West Coast teams that he recruited for, whether it be Cal or Washington. Um, you know, I should mention all the all the turmoil and stuff like that with Lupoy as well. He's got a little bit of a recruiting violation history. So that's you know, it's something to look forward to. And if this announcement is officially uh, an official hire for Oregon, you can guarantee to see some message board comments on that. Don't worry about it. Um, but he could be Sabanized because he worked at Alabama for a long time. He was Alabama's co-defensive coordinator when they won the national championship in 2017. Uh, he was Alabama's sole defensive coordinator when they went to the title game in 2018. Uh, the last 19, 20, 21, he's been working in the NFL as a defensive line coach. Um, he is still employed by the Jacksonville Jaguars, who will probably be cleaning house anytime now. Goodbye, Eric. You just left our podcast for some reason. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> uh, like I was saying, this, we'll see. This guy, he has uh, – real defensive line coach qualities. That's where he's gone and where he's coached. Hey, Eric, nice to see you. It's where he's coached at the last couple of years. Um, to become a defensive coordinator, co-DC at Alabama, you have to have this defensive mentality and these skills, these X's and O's skills. Um, obviously, the talent there is great, but you want to know who's recruiting some of that talent over there? Him. He recruited Mac Wilson, uh, guys like that. He also was the primary recruiter for Najee Harris and Tua Tagovailoa. Those are two West Coast kids. Najee Harris is from Martinez, California. I think so, which is in Northern California. Uh, I think he played at Antioch. Yeah, Northern California guy. Mm-hmm. Where, where Tosh is from Walnut Creek. Um, and Tua, obviously, is from Hawaii. Uh, he was able to get both those guys to come to Alabama across the country as a primary recruiter. And both of them had unbelievably successful careers at Alabama. So that's the message that you sell with when you tosh is like, I brought these kids across the country to have a successful career. And you don't even have to go across the country. If Oregon hires him, you can just drive up and down I five for the rest of your four years here. No issues. So uh, I think that would be a really big hire for Oregon as well. And I'm, I sound like a, uh, you know, a record player right now, but it's like on repeat of like, Oh, I think that would be a good hire. It's because on paper, these hires look to be good, straight up. Um, there's there's connections in all of them. Tosh and, and Lanning overlapped at Alabama in 2015 when uh, Lanning was a grad assistant there. Uh, I believe 
Tosh was a defensive analyst after his last year at Washington. Um, so there's a connection there. And how big is that, is that connection or how deep is it? We'll find out. But the fact that Oregon could be in the running to hire Tosh Lupoi is, is huge because um, there are going to be a lot of college teams who, who would want his services, especially his recruiting services and his tactics. I think we should focus the last little bit here on the current staff. I, I think, guys, it's – if anyone was going to be retained – I, I feel like it would have been already announced and maybe Dan Lanning hasn't had an opportunity to fully vet the current staff, but I just, you know, cause we do know, you know, look, Moorhead, the offensive coordinator, he, he took a head coaching job Deruder, the defensive coordinator. He took a def- another job in the same position. So we already, already radically know that, and Marcel Yates is the same way. We already know that those three guys have already taken jobs. And in theory, he's filled those positions with a new coach. Offensive line coach hasn't been hired yet. But there's just part of me that thinks if any one of these guys on staff, because I know a lot of people ask us all the time, what about Joe Salavea? What about BMAC? Uh, what about Rod Chance? What about um, Bobby Williams or Jim Mastro you know, staying on staff? I don't think we should expect any, almost, maybe one guy that's from this on-field coaching role to stay. Um, I, I think we're seeing a transition here. I mean, BMAC talked a little bit with the media today, um, head of the Alamo Bowl, and was asked about his future. And, you know, something I noticed is he never said we, he never said us. You know, it, it, he referenced the team in, in a, a different manner than than someone that's you know a part of it none of these coaches were out on social media on signing day or the days leading up to signing day um i I think fans need to prepare themselves that it's probably going to be a a pretty clean slate from a a coaching perspective again i i would be surprised based upon the way brian mcclendon helped carried himself and we could be proven wrong on this if he sticks (laughs) I just did nothing he said was like really like indicated that was what's going to happen. Um, I understand it's a tough deal to try to juggle. You're here at Oregon, you're the interim head coach, but you've got a lot of connections, a lot more connections to the Southeast, you know, and he's coached at Georgia for most of his career, played at Georgia collegiately. You know, Miami is much closer (laughs) to Georgia than Oregon is. All of that makes sense. Um, some of the other guys, I, I just think you also wonder if you're Dan Lanning, if you look at him, do you go, can I do better? Yeah. You know, and I'm not I'm not trying to be critical of the guys that take shots. Um, from a player development perspective, a lot of the guys on staff, I think, have been really successful. There have been some great recruiters on staff, too. But his connections are different. He doesn't have connections with really any of these guys. You know, and I think one of the things that stood out in his introductory press conference on Monday when I asked just kind of like what, how impactful is prior work experience for you, he, he said it was. And, you know, it's tough because you're, you're talking about he's trying to build his staff here and he understands what's on the line and continuity is important. I thought it was, again, notable, as we talked about earlier, Don Johnson needed to be retained. I thought that was a great hire. I think there's other support staff guys that would make sense, too. Um, mm-hmm. But the reality is also he has to build a staff of guys he's comfortable with. Yeah. And the continuity only helps you for so long. Right. You, you know, you keep a Brian McClendon. I keep seeing people say we need to keep Brian McClendon to keep, te- you know, Ted McMillan in, in play. 
you don't sign a guy. And Matt said this like verbatim earlier. You don't sign a coach just for one recruit. You just don't do that. There's so much more to the job. And I know Brian McClendon is very well liked. That was one of the things that stood out talking with players today. Yep. You know, TJ Bass, Byron, Byron Cardwell, you spoke with Terrence Ferguson. I don't know if you talked about VMAC at all, but everybody was just kind of like, we love this guy. He's great. Yeah. I'm not mm-hmm. saying that the, staff, the players here at Oregon wouldn't want him around. I'm saying for Dan Lanning, though, if you have like basically no prior relationship with him, but you have, let's say, a receivers coach who you know really well and who you think can come in and do a job and you're com- more comfortable with that person, then that's the person you pursue. So I think Matt's right. I mean, I, I'm kind of scratching my head trying to think of – because, again, about half the guys are already known to be going elsewhere. And the guys that are remaining, I kind of have a hard time looking at them and thinking, who actually makes sense to keep if you're Oregon? I mean, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I don't know if there is a guy that – besides McClendon – uh, yeah, I think BMAC's one of the only guys. I don't even think anyone else is is, is kind of makes that much sense. So. I think Rod Chance does. You know, maybe. I, he's recruited yeah, maybe. in the South. He's recruited in the Midwest. He's recruited at Oregon. Um, he was on that 35 for 35 list, or 35 under 35 um, a couple of years ago. So I, I think you could argue Rod Chance, but I'm with you. Like, I I would like to if I if I'm Oregon, I would like to retain B Mac, but I don't think he's a make or break hire either. He shouldn't be. He's no. a wide receivers coach. No, 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 no coach should be a make or break hire. No. That's, I'm not trying to discredit B Mac at all. I just don't think there's any coach out there yeah, that reasonable. you have to say that, hey, we have to have this guy no matter what for, no. for a recruiting perspective. And I mean, how often do you see a new coach come in outside hire and retain more than like 10% of the, the former exactly. staff? Not very like often. the former staff was all hired by the former head coach. Those are his connection. Those are his people. Those are his mentality of people. They are all on the same page as whatever the old head coach was. And for Oregon, that worked clearly. They were all on the same page. Um, that might be completely different than what Dan Lanning wants at Oregon. And that's going to cause a lot of rifts. Um, it seemingly uh, at Oregon, when, when Jim Levitt was retained, it seemingly caused some rifts as well. And that might've been for other issues, but those are two different mentalities of Mario Cristobal and Jim Levitt clashing at each other. And like Matt, like you're saying, don't be surprised if nobody comes back. I think BMAC fits the mold of who Dan Lanning would kind of want on his staff. Someone who has Southern ties, someone who now has West coast ties, somebody who's pretty young, uh, he's somebody grandpa, who's he's a grandpa, Jared. He's 37. He's too old. He's, he's <laughs> I don't know. I mean, jokes. At least, at least all of us would fit on the staff. So we'd be good. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to have to apply. I'm right in that. I'm right in the sweet spot at 32. I think you're, you're good. good. 32. You're fine. Yeah. Right, um, in there. But I, I think he's one of the lone guys. Like um, it might be that coach Salavea isn't with the team which would suck because I think he's vastly underrated. Um, we know that he's not much of a recruiter and that, you know, isn't, that is not what Dan Lanning is bringing to town. Um, he's bringing in guys who can recruit and whether that's the ultimate, you know, chopping block for coach Salveo would be unfortunate. Cause I think he's done a good job with his defensive line prospects in the past. Um, good, at least in player development. Um, so, you know, I, I really do think that BMAC would be, and then probably coach chances. I don't know 
first chance as well as I do know BMAC. But uh, I think those guys would be, you know, two of the very few. I mean, you'd love to keep Coach Feld a strength guy, strength coach, but you know, there's a lot of rumors that he's following Mario to Miami. So, yeah. So, and I wouldn't, they're probably going to pay him an absurd amount of money. So if I were him, I'd probably do the same thing. Um, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that, you know, people have to get fired and, and that's never what you want ever. But um, when you have a new, this is basically your new CEO, your company's changing and, you know, turnover and casualties happen. And this is going to be a couple, one of them. It's going to do it for us here on the Odds and Audible's podcast. Thank you for listening to this show. Thank you um throughout the year to listening to this show and we'll be back uh, i believe with a mailbag here coming out shortly um, we'll discuss a lot of your questions and pr- hopefully provide you with some answers so until then you've been listening to the odds and Audibles podcast talk to you later folks peace